0: Good morning. If you don't know, my name is Steve, and uh, it's great to have you here at Harvest this morning. I'm one of the leaders at this church, husband to one wife, father to two children. And, um, and you know what? Being a parent is such a blessing. It's so great, but it, it can be quite challenging at times. I don't know whether any of you here who are parents can um, can kind of agree with that. You know, there's the sleepless nights, particularly when they're young, or I guess maybe when they're teenagers. Um, you know, there's the financial implications of having children. You know, it costs money, doesn't it? There's just this sort of sense of responsibility about bringing a new life into the world and helping them interpret what's going on and preparing them for adulthood. But I think one of the most challenging things about being a parent are those times when you have to keep a straight face when you're telling them off and they are being unintentionally hilarious. You know, they've done something wrong, and, you know, you have to point it out to them, but they come, up with, they come up with excuses, which, you know, if they showed the same kind of creativity and logical thinking and communication skills in their schoolwork, you would be so proud. And yet, somehow, what is lacking at school, they can channel it all into coming up with some brilliant, brilliant excuses. And, uh, and teachers um, experience this as well. A long time ago, I trained to be a teacher And uh, I know there's a number of teachers here this morning. And as teachers, you hear some fantastic excuses, particularly around homework. And uh, I have 10, my top 10 excuses for not doing homework. And uh, if some of you are still at school or college or university, you might want to make some notes at this point. You might find these useful. So here we go. 10 excuses why children haven't done their homework. Um, number one, my sister's friend showed me how much paper he could eat. Number two, my mother took it to have it framed. Number three, my dad thought it was his letter to his brother in Thailand and he sent it there by accident. Number four, I didn't bring it in because I didn't want the other people in the class to feel bad about their own homework. How's about this one? I didn't do my history homework because I don't believe in dwelling in the past. (laughs) Our furnace broke and we had to burn everything to stop us freezing to death. But extreme. I thought I'd do it tomorrow because I'll be older and therefore wiser. (laughs) I had a cold over the weekend and I was sneezing a lot. and I didn't want you to get sick if I sneezed on my homework, so I didn't do it. I couldn't do my homework because I went on a rally for higher teacher pay. That's, that's a good one. And uh, here's the final one, really appealing to teachers. I didn't do it because I didn't want to add to your already heavy workload. <laughs> there you go. I think that would, that would work with most teachers, wouldn't it? When children come up with excuses, sometimes they can be funny. When adults come up with excuses, actually, it's a bit less funny, isn't it? And when you know, leaders of major Western nations come up with excuses, it's slightly concerning, not mentioning any nations in particular. This morning, we are continuing our series, which is called Optical Conclusions, where we've been looking in John's Gospel and seeing how, as well as the, the, the sort of physical world that you see on the surface, there is a spiritual reality to life, which John highlights in his Gospel. And this morning, we're continuing that, and we're going to look at the topic of excuses, we're going to read about the, Jesus encountering people who made excuses, and in contrast, how Jesus was able to explain what was going on, and how for us, Jesus enables us to behave and act and live differently. So the words are going to appear on the screen. We're going to read from John chapter 5, verses 31 to 47. And so the context here is Jesus has been doing miraculous things. And he has been speaking about his identity, who he really is, not just that he's some great guy, but that he has a special relationship with God the Father and that he is God the Son. And the religious leaders of the day are challenging him about this. And this is what Jesus says, "'If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favour, and I know that his testimony about me is valid.' You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing, (coughs) testifies that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote... How are you going to believe what I say? Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your presence with us here this morning. We want to thank you, Lord, that you have a heart, a vision, a plan, a purpose for each and every one of us in this room this morning. And our prayer, our heart, Lord, is that you would speak to us, that we would understand your great heart, your great intention for us this morning. Lord, as you speak to us by your word, I pray that you would bring conviction, that you would bring revelation, that you would bring faith to our lives to enable us to respond to you and your word. Would you shine a light into our lives this morning, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so in this passage, like I said, the religious leaders are coming to Jesus and they are challenging Jesus about what he has been doing and what he has been saying. And there is a principle at this time about um, not... um, Your testimony just on your own is not enough. You need two people to really um, testify, to really make a case. And so the religious leaders come to Jesus and challenge him and try to put him on the defensive. But you know what? You can never put Jesus on the defensive. And so instead, Jesus turns the tables on them. He says, you know what? I'm not just speaking myself. John the Baptist, who came and who you like to listen to and who entertained you, he spoke about me. The works that I am doing testify about me. My heavenly father testifies about me. The scriptures that you read and claim to believe testify about me. Even Moses, whom you claim to follow, points towards me. And Jesus just goes, boom, how'd you like them apples? He responds to their accusation. But then he turns the tables and he says, but what about you? What do you think? What do you think about me and what I say and what I do? Jesus brings it back to him. It always comes back to Jesus. You know, it was true then and it's true now. What are you going to do with Jesus? And that's what Jesus says to them. And in response, they say, well, we don't need to believe in you. We don't need to follow you. We don't need to listen to you because we follow Moses. Moses is our uh, leader. We listen to Moses, and by which they mean we are good Jews. We, we follow the Old Testament. We have the Torah, the law, the Ten Commandments. And Jesus says, and we'll, we'll unpack this as we go along, that is just an excuse. Now, there's something disappointing and frustrating, but also something quite heartening about the fact that people even make excuses to Jesus himself. So I've, um, over the years, talked to, A number of people about Jesus. You know, in this church, so many of us, like you heard the great testimony from Stu and Ross there about their finances, and the experience of so many of us here is that God has changed our lives in such a wonderful way. God has changed how I think, God has changed my heart. He has enabled me to do things that I wouldn't otherwise do. I am a totally different person because of encountering Jesus and giving my life to him and becoming a Christian. And so many of us have a similar experience. And so in response, we like to tell other people. We look around and we see the lives of our friends and our families. And we say, you know what? You too could experience this incredible life-changing power at work in your life. And so we tell people about Jesus. And so I've talked to a number of people about Jesus. And you know what? I've heard Excuses. I've been met with excuses. People who say, "Well, no, no, Jesus isn't for me. I don't. I can't become a Christian because I'm a scientist." I've heard people say, "Oh, you know, I, I can't. I can't become a Christian because I'm a pacifist and I think religion causes wars." I've had people, you know, say to me, "Well, yeah, but I'm from a, I'm from a different culture. Uh, so, so I, I, Christianity, it's not for me." I have heard lots of excuses from people about why jesus isn 't for them, or why they don 't need to believe in Jesus, why they 're not interested in hearing about him, but do you know what i 've also talked to quite a few people in the church i 've been in leadership and ministry quite a long time now, and uh, and sometimes I hear excuses from people within the church as well, so you know talk to them and try to show them things from the Bible, and I can hear excuses well yeah, but that doesn't apply to me because of this. Or yeah, yeah, but my situation is different. These, the, these are my circumstances, so, so yeah, no, I don't need to do that. But the thing is, do you know what? I make excuses too. I make excuses too. I make excuses when I've done something wrong and I don't want to admit it. Because it's quite hard, isn't it, to say, yeah, my bad, miracle, but I did it. It's quite challenging, so I make excuses. I made excuses when I don't want to do things, but it doesn't feel right just to say, no, I don't want to. So, you know, you come up with an excuse why you can't do this thing. Do you know what? Excuses are part of just simple, fallen, human nature. You know, as soon as the first sin happened, the first excuse happened. You know, when Adam and Eve first rebelled against God, first, you know, took the act of independence, first did what God said they shouldn't do and ate the fruit of the tree, which God says don't eat of. As soon as they had done that came the first excuse. The woman made me do it. The serpent made me do it. There was an excuse straight away as to why they couldn't uh, take responsibility to themselves, why it was someone else's fault. We can all make excuses. I looked at a number of definitions of excuses, um, and, and this is the, the, one, the best one that i found. When we make an excuse, it's to attempt to deny responsibility for an action or a lack of action. It's, it's saying, not me. It denies responsibility for something. The woman made me do it. The serpent made me do it. We don't need to do that because of this. Let me illustrate it another way. Can I have a volunteer, please? <laughs> Paul oh fan- Paul thank you for, for volunteering. I know that you did it just because <laughs> otherwise I would have picked you anyway. <laughs> so so let me illustrate what happens when we make excuses. When we make excuses, when we try to deny responsibility, what it is it like put some cones around our life just like this. And puts up A big sign that says diversion. When we make excuses, we deny, we deflect, we divert. It's saying, not me. When the pastor comes and says, Oh, Paul, you know, I didn't see you at the prayer meeting last week. It it it, well, I wasn't feeling very well. It diverts. When somebody comes and says, Paul, I think you would be amazing. Leading a cell next week. Will you do it? Oh, I don't think I can do that. I'm, I'm a bit busy. It diverts. It's not just about making excuses for doing bad things. It's about making excuses for not doing great things. Roxana shared a fantastic testimony with me recently. So, um, a, a couple, about probably about ten years ago or something like that, um, when Roxana was probably what about five something like that, um, we, we were doing some training, and I asked Roxana if she would. Um, if she would just like kick off the training by reading a psalm or doing something to encourage us. And uh, Roxana was telling me uh, just a couple of weeks ago about how in that point she realized that she had a choice. She could make an excuse and she could say, oh, can can I do it another week or can somebody else do it? And and in that moment, she she resolved and she chose and she said, right, I'm going to do it. And uh, and you know what? That was 10 years ago. Roxana. Since then, you know, she stood on this stage and she has preached. She's part of our leadership team. She leads our kids' ministry. She does so much, not, not just because of that one moment, but because of those consistent choices, not to make excuses to do the right thing, but to say yes when the call of God comes on her life, not to do that diversion. There's lots of ways in which we can try to divert and deflect. In, uh, in John's Gospel, that we're, we're looking at in the, the previous chapter, John chapter 4, which Karis preached on so brilliantly a few weeks ago. You read the account of the, the, the woman that Jesus engages with at the well, and the subject comes around to her relationships and the fact that she's had five husbands and the person she's living with now isn't her husband. And do you know what her response to this is? Let's have a theological discussion about where people should worship. While we're on the subject of my serial adultery, where do you think people should worship? Is it in Jerusalem or somewhere else? Diversion. Again, I've seen this a few too many times that we kind of have a discussion with someone and it's, oh, let's just move it over to something abstract and theological. People can divert attention away or take away that responsibility by projecting a persona. Yes, I'm happy and I'm successful, so I don't need to deal with the hurt that's inside my life. There's so many ways in which we can do it. But what excuses do is they deny and they deflect and they divert. But the thing is, and the point, don't worry, just two more minutes, Paul. (laughs) The, 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 The point of this series is Jesus sees beyond what 's on the physical level and with jesus you can 't make excuses to jesus it 's a bit like the story of the emperor 's new clothes. Uh, people are familiar with the story of the emperor 's new clothes, where you know this emperor loves wearing grand clothes, and th- this couple of con men basically persuade him that they 've got these amazing, fantastic clothes, but uh, but only really clever people can see them. And and so, you know, the the emperor kind of walks around in these invisible clothes that only clever people can see until a small boy says, the emperor's got no clothes on. And then suddenly it's like the bubble has burst and everyone realizes it. And it kind of feels a bit like that when we try to make excuses to Jesus, you know, kind of put out this there and that there. Jesus sees through it all and says, you're naked because Jesus can see on the, the spiritual level. It's like Jesus has got some special kind of spiritual specs. Here we go. Here's the special spiritual specs. That Jesus, I know what you're thinking. Preacher by day, Elton John tribute act by night. I know. <laughs> you can mock. I'm still standing. But, um, and it's like, you know, the, the people present these excuses to Jesus and he can see through it all. Thank you, Paul. You can put that down. So in the face of excuses, Jesus brings explanation. He explains what's going on. And first of all, what he says is, so this excuse about being a follower of Moses, do you know what? That's a rubbish excuse. That just doesn't make sense. Even before we get to the real issues, that's not a good excuse. Because if you really were a follower of Moses, well, then you would believe me because Moses talked about me. Moses pointed the way towards me. Moses was the, the starting point that ends up with me. So if you really, really believed Moses, you'd believe me. It's like saying, well, you know what? I don't need to go to secondary school because I go to primary school. Well, that's fine when you're five, but when you're 15 or when you're 25, you need to understand there's a process here. And it's the, the uh, Moses came to, uh, just as a, a staging point to point the way to Jesus. If you really believed him, then you trust me. And so, you know, that's a, a, a rubbish excuse, quite frankly. But Jesus goes further and he says what the, the real reason is. And he says that at the, at the center of excuses is you. Literally, at the center of excuses is you. But at the center of excuses is you, is me, is us. And he says the real issue here, he says to the Jewish religious leaders, the real reason why you don't want to follow me It's not about Moses. It's because you don't know the love of God and you care too much about the opinion of others. Instead of caring what God thinks, you care what other people think. It's like this exchange has happened in the place in your lives where you should know and experience God's love. You've just got this thing where it's the opinion of men that you've got it the wrong way around. I was looking at some statistics recently about um, people misfueling their car. I don't know about you, but it's one of my anxieties. Whenever I get a higher car, I always have to establish is this petrol or diesel? Because the consequences of getting it wrong are really serious. I read one report that said that if you put petrol in your diesel car, even just engaging the central locking starts that kind of process of doom by which petrol starts going into places where petrol should not be in a diesel car. But apparently, 150 people every day misfuel their car. I guess it probably happens quite a lot where people have got a new car and they've changed, or maybe people share cars um, or you've got a higher car, but 150 people. And the, the cost every year of misfueling the car is £50 million pounds to make right those things. When you get something in the wrong place, it can have significant consequences. I'm looking around to see if there's any guilty looks in the air. <laughs> um, and and for these people, they, they were made to know and experience the love of God, but instead, they just care what people think not what God thinks. And you know what? Knowing that God loves you and that God is for you is so transforming, is so powerful. You know, I, I would say that I am not naturally a confident person, but since I gave my life to Jesus and since he has been at work in me, I have been able to do things I never would have done before. Because God loves me, because He is for me, because He is passionate about me, because He He loves me with such a passion. He is so zealous about me. And, and it's like well, I can do anything because God's got my back. Because He's for me. He's not against me. When you know that God loves you, it is so powerful. It changes how you think, it changes how you feel, it changes how you act. It is transformative to know the love of God. And these people didn't know that. Instead, what oriented and directed their life was what other people thought and said. They were more interested in the praise of others. And it's crazy, isn't it? When you think that how I'm going to act. The things that I'm going to say, how I'm going to behave, is going to be directed entirely not by this good powerful, authoritative, constant God who loves me and wants the best for me, but by the people around me and what they happen to think today, which might be different tomorrow and even more different the day after. By what, how they interpret my actions, that's what's going to determine how I live. It's like getting you know, the remote control the, of your life, like a radio control car, and just handing it over to somebody and say, do you know what? You can control what I do. You can control what I say, that how I'm going to live is based on that, that I'm going to swap that for the incredible, powerful love of God. And Jesus, in the face of their excuses, just diagnoses this is the issue. This is what is going on in your life. The Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. It says that in Proverbs 29. It, it just it doesn't do us good. So that's excuses. Jesus gives the explanation. So what do we do in response to that? You know, for us, when we're talking to people about Jesus and we're met with excuses, what do we do? How do we respond? Well, I think what Jesus did teaches us a lot. I think that his kind of first thing about unpacking the excuses and and, and sort of <laughs> saying whether that makes sense or not is a, is a great thing. And I've uh, Done this with people before about you know saying well, oh yeah well I can't I can't be a Christian because I'm a, a scientist. Oh, let's kind of unpack this. Uh, a bit more because, you know, I might need to go back to all my friends who are scientists and tell them that they're not actually allowed to become Christians. And, you know, we can talk about whether actually being a Christian is an output from scientific endeavor or whether it's an input or whether it shapes whether you do it or not and shapes your expectations. When people say, oh, I can't do it because I'm a pacifist, then you can talk about the fact that uh, Jesus came to enable us to, pe- be, to be people of, of peace and to bring peace. And actually the only way that we can control our emotions and our aggression is when we let the love of God dwell in our hearts. We, I remember talking to somebody who said that he didn't, he didn't really kind of have much time for Jesus because he thought he wasted his talent a bit, you know, like there were better things that he could have done with it. And, and you know, we talked about maybe some of the things that Jesus did and, and sort of reflecting back to him some of the things that he said. It kind of highlights, actually, that's not a very good excuse, is it? And so we can do that. And sometimes it's just about identifying, is that is that real? I remember someone saying to me about, well, what about dinosaurs? And you know, I was tempted to say, what about them? But but you know, it's like, well, do you know what we can have a we can have a discussion about kind of history and geology and dinosaurs and stuff like that. But can I just check? Is this the real the, the real issue for you? Is this the thing that is stopping you following Jesus? No, no, actually, it's not. It's not. And sometimes we need to kind of help people get beyond. Their excuses. But the real thing, like Jesus said, the real reason why people make excuses is about the heart and the mind. It's about the attitude of our lives and it's about whether we know and experience the love of God. And actually, when people can experience the love of God, it it changes the dynamic. So, a great thing that we can do when we're trying to help people is to pray that God would reveal His love to them. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that God pours His love into our hearts. By the Holy Spirit. I've got a friend who, before he was a Christian, he had a, a list of, uh, I suppose his problems, his objections to becoming a Christian. He, you know, he was kind of quite a uh, thinker, contemplator, and he thought about it a lot and he'd kind of come up with these issues. But do you know what? He got to a point where he said, "God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, will you help me with these list of things?" And he said, you know almost like one by one, these things stopped mattering. It, it, they, they kind of disappeared. They weren't important anymore because something had changed in his heart and he was able to give his life to Jesus and he's the pastor of a church now. It's a matter of our hearts. When we pray for God to change our hearts, actually the, the, the excuses don't seem to matter anymore. But also we can help people with their They're thinking and they're reprioritizing about the opinion of God versus the opinion of others. The Bible talks in Romans 12 about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And when we pray for people to have their thinking changed, then we can get beyond the excuses. I remember talking to someone, I've been talking to them for for quite a while about uh, faith and things like that. And they kind of said, oh yeah, I've got... I, I just." They were sort of struggling to get it all right in their mind. And so we sat down for probably about an hour and a half. And we went from, through the Bible, from Genesis through to Revelation, and explaining how everything fitted together. And at the end of that process, it was just like a penny had dropped. I said, yes, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus now. That when we have our thinking changed by the power of the Bible, actually the excuses get put to one side. So it's a great thing to do, to pray for people, to pray for a changed heart, and to pray for changed thinking. But do you know what? There is something even more powerful. There is something even more significant. There is even something so helpful in helping people overcome excuses and get beyond excuses, to to make that exchange between the, the um the love of God, and the opinion of others. And it's the, the principle of self-service, the principle of self-service. And the, the principle is this, before we can serve other people, we need to sort out our self. comes before service. Uh, a, a few years ago, I, um, God was speaking to me and challenging me and working in my life around the issue of insecurity. About helping me to be secure in who I am and his call on my life and what he'd made me, who he'd made me to be. And through his word, he just kind of showed me and put his finger on insecurity in my life and helped me to, to overcome and use the, um, the example of King Saul in the Old Testament. And I, I've preached from that passage a couple of times over the past few years, but I'll be honest, I could preach on it every week because it's got so much life in it for me. And God's really uh, helped me break through in that area of insecurity. And do you know what I find as a result of that is I find it so much easier to recognize it in other people. I find it so much easier to recognize it in my kind of colleagues and people I encounter and just day-to-day life and people in the church. It's so much easier because of having been through that experience to recognize where we are behaving and acting, and speaking, and responding emotionally in a particular way, because we're not secure in our heart with who God has made us to be, because we don't know that love of God that means we can do anything, and the best way that we can help people overcome their excuses and get beyond it is when we deal with the excuses in our own life, when we are willing to say, you know what, because God is for me, because he loves me, because he's crazy about me, I can do the right thing, I can tell the truth, and I can say yes, You will never be worse off from doing the right thing with God. You will never be worse off from saying yes to God. You will never be worse off by putting his word into practice in your life because his word is good and it is pleasing and it is perfect. And when we get to a point where we say yes to God and no to excuses, well, actually, our lives are so much better. Our lives are so much better. Because that's the problem with putting up that diversion sign when we're holding up the diversion sign and somebody comes along to help us, well, we say, over there. We say, jog on. Say, not today, thank you. We point them in the other direction. Here was Jesus talking to these men with an offer of life, with a a, a fundamental, radical, life-transforming message. And they said, we have Moses. No, thank you. And they're the ones who miss out. Elsewhere, Jesus tells the parable about an invitation to a wedding banquet, about these people who are invited to come to the wedding banquet, and one by one, they make excuses. They say, oh, I just bought a field. I need to go and see it. I've just got married. They give him excuses. But the, do you know what the consequence is? They miss out. They miss out on the banquet. They miss out, the inference is, on the life that Jesus has for them. When we hold up the diversion sign, We divert away the help that God wants to give us. God's got a great heart and a great plan for us. And if we're going to receive all that he has for us, we need to rip up the diversion sign. And we need to say, I'm going to stop making excuses because I want some help. I don't want to go on. Trapped in a cycle of doing things that frustrate me. I don't want to go on living in the hurt of the past. I don't want to go on being frustrated that I, I can't break out of my my little bubble that I live in. I, can't, I, can, I don't want to be so uh, shy and retiring. I don't want to be so fearful. And the only way we can get the help that we need is if we stop making excuses for our behavior and get the help that Jesus has for us. And it's true for us and it's true for the people that we're trying to help. So this morning, I'm going to invite us to make a response. And it's a very simple response. It's to stop making excuses and to say yes to God. I wonder whether I can invite us to stand so we can pray in response to this. Let's just close our eyes. We're going to ask God to come and to speak to us. Because this is a word, you know, the the story of excuses is a word that is common to humanity. But each and every one of us has our own experience, has our own story, has our own excuses that we're making. And We want to pray this morning that God would just... Show us, because sometimes we're not even aware of it. We've so got into the habit of making excuses, where we deny and deflect and divert. Ask God to put his hand on that, to shine the light into our lives, to show us where we are making excuses, where we're justifying wrong behavior, where we're avoiding right behavior, where we're just not embracing the good, pleasing, and perfect life that God has for us. Just going to wait on God a few moments. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Well, the first response this morning, I believe, is if you're here this morning and you've never responded to the Lord Jesus personally, and maybe you have been making excuses. Maybe you've been making excuses about your culture, about your background, about What's different about you? And this morning, you've come to here and you have realized, I need to stop making excuses. That the only one who's missing out is me. And you realize that today is the day when you stop making excuses and you start to say yes to Jesus. So if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to, um, to break out of that, that kind of shame of other people. I'm going to ask you quite simply just to put your hand up. If you have not given your life to Jesus before, but today you've decided, I'm not going to make any more excuses. Today I want to become a follower of Jesus. I'm going to ask you just to put your hand up where you are. That's great. Just leave it one more moment, just in case anyone else wants to respond. off from choosing to say yes to God now for all of us just want to pray and ask God to help us to stop making excuses actually I feel like there is a I think there's something here about uh, before we come on to making excuses for our own lives I I believe there's something about making excuses for other people I think there's something about parents excusing the behaviour of their children of saying you know what it's not too bad it's okay and the reason that we do that is because we get our identity about being a good parent because of the behavior of our children and I want to say this morning if you're a parent your identity as a parent does not come from the behavior of your children it doesn't come from their achievements It comes from the Lord Jesus. It comes from the fact that he loves you with a passion and a determination and a zeal that never fades and never goes away. So if you've been making excuses for the behavior of your children and excusing it away in a way that means that you can't get help. We love helping people in their parenting and with their children. If you've been making excuses because you fear how it looks to you, today's a day to stop making excuses to get help. I believe there are also people who, seems a strange thing, but have been making excuses on God's behalf, been giving reasons why God might not, why God won't, why God isn't. And you know what? God does not need you to make excuses for him. He is big enough, mighty enough, powerful enough to do the right thing. And I believe the reason that we make excuses on God's behalf is because we don't really believe that he will do what he says he will do well today is the day to reject the excuses to say no to excuses and say yes to God and to take God at his word Lord I want to pray for anyone that, that that applies to here this morning making excuses for other people Lord today we choose to say no to excuses and yes to God Lord would you release us would you help us just to tear up those diversion signs maybe you can do that just in your mind to to see yourself tearing up that diversion sign and saying I'm not going to do that anymore I want to pray for for us because that's the centre of it isn't it the centre of excuses is you is me is us Lord, I want to pray for us that you would pour your love into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to pray that you would increase the awareness and the power of your love and that you would decrease the extent to which we follow the opinions of others. Lord, would you reduce reduce the fear of others and increase the love of God, that perfect love that casts out fear. Lord, would you help us just be so secure and confident in you that there is no longer any need to make excuses why we can, why we can't, why we did, why we didn't, but just to embrace the great life and the great heart that you have for us. Lord, I pray this in the name of Jesus. thank you for this time together. We thank you for all you've spoken to us. We thank you for all you've moved in our hearts. God, we pray that this will be a week of stepping out of excuses and into the victory that you have for us. And so, God, it's a privilege to pray a blessing over your church, over your people this morning. God, I pray this morning, this week, will be a week of living in victory, of living in the fruitfulness that you have for us. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and i